You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. I am so excited about this episode on Spot On. You know, uh, oftentimes we ask you listeners to send us ideas for topics, and I can't tell you how many people have asked us, do something on sugar substitutes. What's that all about? So I said, you know, I'm doing it on sugar substitutes. There's a lot going on here about added sugars in the diet. And, you know, uh, currently uh, Americans are consuming 17 teaspoons of added sugar a day, and so we know that there could be health problems problems with that. But on the same time, you know, we have this innate desire for sweets. So we have a sweet tooth. So here we are, you know, uh, we have a sweet tooth, but we don't want to cut back on added sugars or a diet. So what about sugar substitutes. So today we're going to look at that a little further. We're going to set the record straight about sugar substitutes. But before we do that, let's go to the streets and let's find out. So what do you think about sugar substitutes? I don't really believe in sugar substitutes because they still are acting like a sugar in your body. So I don't see the purpose. I would just cut out sugar altogether. I do believe that sugar substitutes can lead to losing more weight. But personally, I would never opt for the sugar substitutes. Rather, I would just reduce my sugar consumption because I feel that everything has their own added preservatives. I occasionally drink beverages with sugar substitutes in them, but um, for me, I think the biggest problem is that they just don't taste very good, especially compared to regular sugar. Usually for recipes, I try to use a substitute that I think is healthier, like coconut sugar or honey or maple syrup. But like at the end of the day, I feel like the makeup is the same either way. So today I brought in the best of the best. Uh, my guest today is Hope Warshore. She's been a dietitian for decades and a certified diabetes care uh, and education specialist. She knows diabetes in and out. And as a, as a book author, she has written several books, so including the Diabetes Meal Planning Made Easy and, and Eat Out Well, How to Eat Healthy in Restaurants. So she really understands, she writes uh, about sugar substitutes, she writes them uh, for the public, and she also writes this for her, her own colleagues, a registered dietitian nutritionist. So um, I brought her on, and uh, because she's going to tell us truly help us set the record straight on sugar substitutes. So I hope, thank you for coming on Spot On. I'm delighted to be here, Joan. Well, we are so excited. I also want to tell you that, full disclosure, that, you know, uh, my my friend here, Hope, who's a registered dietitian, uh, as I am, also, she, she does consulting work. So she, she works with Heartland Food Products Group, which is the manufacturer of Splendid brand sweeteners, which is, of course, you know, Splendor is one of the many sugar substitutes. So I just want to make sure we get that out so you, they know your background. So tell me, let's... Hope, why why do you think so many people are interested in low-calorie and no-calorie sugar substitutes? Well, 
Actually, I'm going to be a little bit challenging on that. I'm not sure that people think enough about low and no calorie sweeteners um, because I'm not sure that people are aware enough about the concerns about our overconsumption of added sugars. The committee report that was actually published in mid-2020 that uh, actually recommended that people get no more than 6% of their calories as added sugars. And just the comparison is that we're eating 13% of our calories as added sugars. And I think the two main reasons that the Dietary Guidelines Committee report gave for this recommendation of 6% was one, to make room in people's eating plan for nutrient-dense or nutrient-packed foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and dairy products. And then I think very important evidence that was cited in this committee report encouraged this reduction in added sugars due to the high prevalence of overweight, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and adiposity-related cancers. And I feel like that is a new expression um, for people, but you and I both know, and you've touched on this in past shows, that there is a relationship being seen between certain cancers and um, overweight and obesity. Right, right. You know, I think, you know, what I'm seeing is that the media has really, really caught on to added sugars in the diet. And now, once it got onto the Nutrition Fact Panel and people were like, whoa, I can't believe all the added sugar that's in this product or whatever. I think, you know, the added sugars um, is a concern of public. And I get this all the time. They're so worried about the sugar, sugar, sugar. And, you know, we used to worry about it because, you, like you said, excess calories could, you know, make it challenging for you to manage your weight. And we understood it with diabetes. I mean, we understood, but when we started to find out there could be a link to cardiovascular disease, it was like, okay. So I, I, I think, I mean, I get this question all the time about, you know, added sugars and how to um, lower added sugar in the diet. And one of the ways to do this is with these sugar substitutes. And I think there's a lot of confusion about these sugar substitutes, if they're safe or not. And you, my dear, wrote a fabulous article about this um, in the American Association of Diabetes Educators that really was, you know, I looked at this and I said, whoa, this would be like perfect to answer this question. So I, I, I think that that they they want to know about sugar substitutes, but they maybe have got a lot of misinformation. So first of all, before we get into that, what are some of the kinds of, of sugar substitutes? Can you explain that? Because I know you you work with uh, or Splenda brands, but there's others, right? Absolutely, right. And unfortunately, to just piggyback on what you were saying before, I think people in general have a negative attitude about no and low calorie sweeteners because what we tend to see in the press, as I say, sort of paints the halo of horror about these very safe and valuable sweeteners. You know something? You are spot on, but I have to tell you, I am going to borrow that halo of horror. All right, listeners, I'll be using that in future episodes. That is such <laughs> a fabulous. 
this phrase. Halo of heart. You are right, my dear, because that's exactly correct. And that's why we're having you on here because um, some people are scared to death uh, of these. So, so explain, say, what are some of the other options besides the splendor? So um, the answer is many and more today really than ever because now we have the naturals category. So the low and no calorie sweeteners, though we tend to think of them as a group, they're all different. I mean, really, the only similarity between them is that they all sweeten foods or beverages with no or few calories. The sweetening ingredient in sugar substitutes are unique compounds. They have unique structures and they're processed differently in the body. Also, they have different taste. What is the name of a natural sweetener? So um, stevia, which really the ingredients are a several steviol glycosides that have gone through FDA review in this country, um, monk fruit, and also allulose, which is probably the newest, really not a low and no calorie sweetener, but more referred to as a rare sugar, but it's calories per gram are very low. You know, whenever I, I think of sugar substitutes, I think of the pa- the packets on the diners. You know, in New Jersey, there's diners all over the place when you could go out. And so, you know, it looked like a baby shower uh, on the diner because you had a yellow packet, you had a blue packet, and you had a pink packet. So so the Splendor would be like the yellow, and the blue would be the NutraSweet, right, the equal. And then the pink would be, you know, uh, sweet and low. And you're right, my dear. Uh, they all taste different. And and some are, I like some of them and some of them I do not. And, you know, you really, it, it's it's like a smorgasbord of, of sub sugar substitutes, which is good. I think, Joan, too, people get used to certain tastes. Um, I know I pick a bitter on my palate really easily. And I, you know, grew up in the age of uh, saccharin really being the only no and low calorie sweetener. And I can remember my father drinking tab and thinking, oh my God. Um, but, um, you know, I think really people need to widen their horizons about the forms of no calorie sweeteners that are available. People are so familiar, as you're saying, with the packets that we see in restaurants, coffee shops, and in New Jersey diners, but some are available in other convenient and practical forms. For example, there's a liquid form of Splenda that's made with three of the low and no calorie sweeteners that I've mentioned, sucralose being one, monk fruit or stevia is another. Then there's granular forms in jars or pouches which work well for cooking and baking. I mean, I use uh, uh, sugar substitutes, um, but I'm going to ask the pro here. You know, are they safe to consume? So on safety, Joan, um, the low and no calorie sweeteners that are reviewed by safety authorities and well beyond the FDA, I mean, this goes globally, um, they're safe to consume. As I mentioned, low and no calorie sweeteners have all been reviewed by numerous uh, safety authorities around the globe. For some, they set what's referred to as an acceptable daily intake or ADI. An important point I want to make about safety consumption is that studies and surveys that observe the consumption, how much we're consuming of these, generally show that the amounts of people, even people who are likely to consume 
a lot of it, like for instance, children with diabetes consume way under this acceptable daily intake. I recommend that people use them, use the one that, that they like the best. You know, it's interesting you said that because, you know, you'd have to consume 75 packets a day of this. So what you're saying here is that, you know, it's it's unlikely that one would have be able to get up to that level. So in moderation, they can be used and they can help um, people with diabetes, you said, people watching their weight. you talked about in this article and I want I want to talk about some myths about these because you you mentioned this in the article it was great um so let's talk about the myths about using sugar substitutes because I've seen these where I've seen these on the internet saying that they they raise blood sugar levels similar to table sugar is that true it is not so there are definitely myths and misinformation bandied about on this sort of category on no and low calorie sweeteners, or, or, you know, there may be a media hype headline on a specific low calorie sweetener. But we let's set this record straight on a few of these. Um, but one point that I want to underscore on this topic is that sugar substitutes, I'm referring to them as low and no calorie sweeteners, are not a magic bullet for weight control or diabetes management, etc. What they can be is one tool, one tool among many in people's toolbox to help them achieve their nutrition, health, and eating goals. Um, but the evidence in totality, um, and I have to say this has gone on for decades, I've been involved in this space for about 30 years now, is that low and no calorie sweeteners do not raise blood glucose levels or un other indicators of elevated glucose. And this is true both in people with diabetes and those without diabetes. I mean, these regulatory authorities require these kind of studies to be done. You know, that's good news because people with diabetes may want a nice sweet beverage, and this allows them to have that without their blood sugar, we call it, levels spiking. So that's good. So now we know they don't raise the blood glucose. What I've also read is that, that they cause weight gain. Now, do they cause weight gain? No. <laughs> So again, in the totality of evidence, particularly when we looked at well-designed either studies on individual LMCS or from meta-analyses of mainly randomized controlled trials, so that, that gold standard in, in human studies, they show that low and no calorie sweeteners can help people reduce body weight and reduce total calorie intake. Is this by a lot? Are they a magic bullet? No. As I've said, they can be a helpful tool to reduce added sugars, and that is our goal according to the dietary guidelines. And we know that people are over-consuming calories, and so this can be a help. As I say, 
every little bit helps. And uh, that is my motto for weight management, for sure. So Hope, what were you trying to say here? And I think people, I've seen people this all this time, they may have a diet soda and then they're eating the whole bag of potato chips because they feel like, well, I saved calories from the soda. I'm going to wait on the chips. And then we, we have a wash here. So, okay, you can't do that. So it still comes down to calories. Right. There's actually that important point is referred to in the American Diabetes Association's discussion on low and no calorie sweeteners where they've said they're safe, um, they can be used to help reduce calories and, and the amount of carbohydrate someone consumes. But cautionary note, be careful that you don't compensate for those saved calories. Sure. Sure. What about, I've also seen uh, uh, on social media that, you know, there's claims that these low-calorie sweeten or no-calorie sugar substitutes, I like to call them, um, increase the cravings for sweets. Have you find that should it be true? Well, again, I mean, I think we see these little studies and then what so often happens with the media is, again, that halo of horror um, these studies are taken and they've blown out of context, etc. What is very frustrating to me as someone who is a healthcare professional has been involved in this area is that some of these very positive studies about how they can be helpful are never, ever even covered. They don't even see the light of day in the media. And I think that is one of the reasons why I co-authored these two publications, which I'm sure you'll reference in your show notes. So that, that good. I'm glad to hear that because it's so, again, good point, good point. So they don't necessarily don't increase your cravings for sweet. And speaking of cravings or whatever, do they increase your hunger though? I've read that too on, on social media that, that you have this and you're hungry and you want to eat more. So, you know, both of these topics, increasing hunger, appetite, cravings, I mean, they sort of are in one bucket. Um, I think we can all agree that as humans, we have a desire to satisfy our sweet tooth. And as is typical in the research on low and no calorie sweeteners, some research in animal models had, has demonstrated some changes in food intake and appetite-related hormones with consumption of added sugars. And I'll add, sometimes these studies in animal models are conducted with extremely large amounts of different low and no calorie sweeteners well beyond what humans would likely ever consume. So translating this research to humans, these results don't seem to be replicated. Right. Okay, good. Good to know. And what about the microbiome? I mean, we're here. We're going to do a whole show on the microbiome uh, because this is, everybody's asking me questions on this. So does it foul up these, these sugar substitutes? Does it foul up the microbiome? No. So this is another area of sort of one study and actually probably a few studies and many negative media headlines. So the biggest one that sort of started this discussion was 2014 study in a very small number of humans and animal model. I think it was mice using very large amounts of low and no calorie sweeteners, particularly saccharin, I believe. Um, and so that sort of started out this area and it's been filled with a good bit of misinformation. 
But since then, a number of studies and reviews have been published on this topic. And at this point, the conclusion seems to be that low and no calorie sweeteners as a group do not adversely impact the gut microbiome. But we know there's a lot of attention today on the gut microbiome, as you mentioned, um, and that's exciting. But regarding low and no calorie sweetener consumption, they're not thought to be a major factor in gut health. People should feel very comfortable using low and no calorie sweeteners to satisfy their sweet tooth while not harming their gut health. Yeah, that's good to know, uh, Hope. And, you know, it's interesting what you said about some of these studies are all done on rats. And so, you know, to to translate them to humans, we're not right there uh, yet. And I I can remember, and you're going to remember too, because you and I are about in the same age bracket here, that, you know, for years, uh, uh, Sweet and Low used to have this warning on it that, you know, may, uh, that this uh, sugar substitute may cause, has been shown to cause cancer in rats. And they used to have to put that on there. And what came out in 2000, I remember this, that they found out what the issue was. And uh, the rats uh, metabolize saccharin uh, in a way where it can, and large amounts cause cancer. But uh, humans do not have that mechanism. So, that, you know, the take-home message when it came to saccharin was it's okay, safe in moderation to uh, humans, but just don't feed it to your pet rat because it'll probably kill it. So, it, you know, it's, you know, it's again, so you can't always uh, extrapolate what comes from animal studies to humans, but it's good to keep an eye on where you're going or emerging on that. So that's good. That's a really good point to bring out to us. One last thing I want to, uh, you talk about a halo of horror. Oh gosh, I just love that. Um, you know, I find, and I've, I've seen this among my students, I've seen it in, in, in friends and family members, that some of these uh, sugar substitutes have a, a better halo. Like you said, the natural ones, the stevia, seem to be better than, or, or perceived better, a better, better halo than, say, aspartame or Splendo, uh, 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 whatever. Do, yeah, is there really any difference in them? I mean, Joan, I... I mean, you and I know that uh, there's really a, not much of a definition uh, in the word natural. Um, I really feel that, I mean, I am glad to see that there are more choices for people and people who, you know, want to consume a substance that is more plant-based, you know, so there's now we have sweeteners with made with stevia and, and monk fruit and now allulose, at least those are being made by the Splenda folks. One of the points that we spoke a lot about in both of these papers that you mentioned is taste and that for people to make long-term changes in their eating habits that foods that they eat and or ingredients like a low and no calorie sweetener that they choose have to taste good. That is very important. So I encourage people to find a low and no calorie sweetener that tastes good to them. So it all comes down to your, your sweet taste. You know, we all have an innate desire for sweet. So it all comes down to taste. I think what the what, what what I'm hearing from you is that in moderation, 
whatever one that, that it tastes well to you can possibly help you reduce the added sugars in your diet, which can help you if you have to have problems with your blood sugar levels and blood glucose levels in control, and maybe help cut some calories, which may be kind of nice for the waist. So it sounds like in moderation, uh, this is the can satisfy a sweet tooth. Definitely. And I think we all want our sweet tooth satisfied. With that, I want to thank Hope Warshaw for coming on and, and sharing her knowledge of sugar substitutes with us. So Hope, thank you again for coming on Spot On. Thank you for having me on Spot On. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?